The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Uh, my name is Zach Simmons, and I'm on staff with Campus Outreach at the University of Minnesota. Minnesota, go Gophers, Scott Uma, we will tend to, and then our season ended. Um, but uh, I'm really excited to be giving this talk. I want to give a few clarifiers about this talk because the topic of gender is extremely charged these days. And it's not only charged, I mean, it's charged within uh, our circle, within churches and Christianity, but uh, it's because it's, it's a big topic abroad, right? And where, where I'm at in Minneapolis, uh, the U of M is right along the Mississippi River. You cross a bridge, there's a grocery store that I like to go to. You can get black, black beans and rice for $2 a pound. It's a great deal. Whole protein, that's a whole meal, that's all you need. Um, but they have many people who work there that are transgender, or would say that they don't have a gender. And um, all of the bathrooms um, would say, you know, any gender is welcome, and that, I mean, that's, just, that's just where we're at. And so, as a Christian, I think that gender is something that God has created, and I think it's beautiful. But, so we have to have an answer for the rest of the world, why we think that God is the one who created gender. But when you get into it, when you look at the Bible, there, it, it's, it's an extremely complex topic. And so I just want to disarm some of you who may be coming in here, and your thoughts may be different than my thoughts on gender. And um, if you're on staff here and you walk out and you're like, ah, oh, I wish you would have talked about this, or I wish you would have talked about that, uh, or it may have been better if you would have talked about this instead of what you're going to talk about. If you would have you tell me that, I'd probably say, you're probably right. <laughs> like, there's, there's just so much here that we could talk about. There really is. There's so much here. Um, and and I, I want you to know that um, I'm not saying that this is the whole package. I've been given 30 to 45 minutes to talk about a topic that is extremely complex in our culture today. And so, but I want to do it justice. I want to do it justice because um, sexism is a real thing in our society. And many of you have been hurt because of confused forms of masculinity. Both men and women have been hurt because of it. And many of you are living out of an identity that is not a biblically masculine identity. And so I wanna help you today. I really do wanna help you. I'm really excited about what I'm gonna share with you guys. I just want you to know, this is the whole picture. This isn't it, okay? This is a conversation that we're having. And so um, the other thing is, I, I wonder how many of you guys came in here um, because of Emma's talk on femininity. Who went to Emma's talk on femininity? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just want you to set your expectations low. <laughs> Emma is a better communicator than me. So now that I've given you no confidence that I know what I'm talking about, let's get into it. Um, here, let me, let me pray real quick, and then, and then we'll get into it. Father, you are a good God, and you created men and women in your image, uh, both to honor you and glorify you, and... You created us to live out of biblical masculinity and femininity for our joy, that we would be happier people and for your glory. So would you help me be very clear about what I'm trying to communicate, what's in my head? Would I be able to get it out the front door and, and help people see what I'm saying? And, and um, would you uh, reveal yourself to us today? Um, so I pray that Lord Jesus' name, amen. All right, so just, just a little introduction. 
Uh, one of the things that I think you, you, you've got to be thinking about when you talk about gender, masculinity, or femininity, is that culture affects you more than you can possibly know. In ways that you don't even understand, your culture, whether you're from Kentucky or Minnesota, affects you more ways than you can know. And you come to a conference, and we're all from different places. I mean, I'm wearing a cardigan, and I wonder how many of you don't like that. <laughs> we, we come from different places. And, and, and culture affects you more than you can possibly know. An example of this is my son, I, I have two sons. Um, I'm married, uh, my wife's name is Justine, she's with our boys up in there and they're napping. Um, my oldest son's name is William, he's four, and then my younger son's name is Sullivan, he's two and a half. And Sully, the other day, asked me if he could have a babe. And I said, do you mean a bag? And so then we got into this conversation, I actually took a, I, I wouldn't put it up here, but I didn't have time. Um, I took a video of me saying, can you say bag? And he would say, bag. It's a very Minnesota thing, bag. And I'm, I'm originally from San Diego, grew up in Wyoming. I don't, I mean, I have a little bit of a Minnesotan accent, but not, I'm never gonna say bag. I mean, come on, it's like, is there an E on the end of it? No, there's not an E on the end of it. My son is two and a half, and the culture of Minnesota, not because of me, but because he's around other people, he says bay. Okay, the culture it affects you far more than you can you can understand. At the same time, culture affirms everything. If you want to believe something, it's out there. It really is. For instance, on one side, you could um, you, you have people who think that masculinity, the right form of masculinity, is kind of this tough man, brute, stubborn. Here, here's a question. Is it masculine if you score 50 points in the NBA in a game? And what if I said that the same person who scored 50 points in an NBA game was convicted of gang rape? And when he was prosecuted and they asked him, why did you do it? Why did you go over to their house? He said, because we be men. We be men, that's what we do. You know, boys be boys. That, that's, that's, how we, that's how we act. That, that's, one, that's one view of what masculinity is. I'm a man, I have strength in me, and I'm going to dominate to get what I want in the world. That's one view of masculinity. Then you have the other side of the picture. There was a, a girl that a freshman girl I was talking to at the University of Minnesota cafeteria. And um, a student was telling us about his friend who ran a marathon that was 100 miles. 100 mile marathon. Took him 36 hours to do it. It's absolutely crazy. Has anybody run a 100 mile marathon in here? No, okay, it's crazy. Has anyone run a marathon here? Still crazy. Anyone run a 5K? <laughs> Still crazy. Um, no, but, but okay, 100 miles, that's crazy. And this girl was sitting with us and her response to that was, well, that's a form of toxic masculinity if I've ever heard of one. What? <laughs> Girls run 100 mile marathons. Why is that all of a sudden toxic masculinity, right? So, there, I mean, you can, you can either say, um, there, there is a way in which I'm going to dominate the world, and that is masculinity. And our culture is moving away from that, right? I mean, you feel that. Our culture is saying, that, no, that's not right. That's not good. Yes, culture is right that that is not right for men to just want to dominate things, right? The culture is right in that. But, is masculinity just nothing? Is it just something that we should shy away from? I don't think so, I don't think that's right. And so what we wanna do is we wanna look at the Bible as Christians. Did God create gender or not? 
If he didn't create gender, then let's not talk about it. But if he created gender, then let's look at the Bible and see what does God have to say about what gender is. So, if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to go to Genesis 1. So we're going to look at, uh, this is my outline for today, so we're going to make some observations from creation, we're going to make an observation from the fall, of the, the fall meaning when Adam and Eve sinned, right, Tony, 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 Tony. Um, talk about that this morning, um, redemption, and then uh, how, how we can redeem, masculinity was redeemed and how it can be restored to us, so um, first we want to look at Genesis 1, 26, so the first observation from creation is that you matter. Every one of you, whether you're a man or a woman, you matter. Because Genesis 1.26 says this, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both of them. So there are things that women, female, uniquely express about God that, that men don't. And there are things about men uniquely express God that, that women don't. That's a really good thing. Okay? So male and female, he created them. And uh, Max Stiles said this uh, in one of his talks, you are amazing. You have to understand that the way that God has uniquely wired humans is amazing. And if you don't understand that, if you don't have a picture that you were created in the image of God, then life's not going to make a lot of sense and you're going to be really confused. You are amazing. You do matter. You, you, you matter a lot. Um, it, it's significant. When you look at the creation story, Six days he created things, right? He started with light, and then he went into the, earth, the world, separated the water, separated the light, and then created things in the sea, and then the animals, and the plants, and everything. And then what's the last thing he created before he rested? Us. He created us. The climax, the, the climax of the story of creation is us. That is significant. You were created in the image of God. You've got to know that. Um, so, uh, second thing, getting into masculinity specifically, Adam was tasked with working and keeping the garden. So if you go to Genesis chapter 2, you look at verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, um, he was working and keeping the garden, and he was naming all the creatures and calling out their beauty. He was saying, this is amazing because of this, and this is amazing because of this. I'm going to call you this, I'm going to call you this. That, that was Adam's job. Eve had not, was not there yet. This was Adam's job. And then God said, he's not fit to be alone. He should have a woman, right? So, um, the third thing, Adam was tasked with naming all the creatures and calling out beauty. So this is what I just said, Genesis 2.19. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. That's pretty amazing. God creates all of these things, and he decides that he wants Adam to put a stamp on all of them, right? This is what I want to name them. This is, this is what I want to name them. God wants him to do that. And then Adam names Eve, says, the, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. This is so poetic. It's so beautiful. He's not saying, hey, apart from a woman, you know, I'm going to get what I want. He's saying, finally, Things make sense. The, the world makes sense because women are here. Um, 
Okay, so Adam was tasked, this is significant, Adam was tasked with naming all the creatures and calling out beauty, and he was called to work the garden and keep it, okay? Oh boy, hold on. Okay, so, uh, the next thing we want to look at when we're looking at what is biblical masculinity is, um, what does it mean in Hebrew? What does this word for male mean in Hebrew? And we'll get it both in Hebrew and the Greek. The word for male in Hebrew is zakar, which is to make an impact or to remember. And I think that uh, male meant that because they, who passed on the family name? The, the man passed on the family name, and so it was to remember, right? So zakar. In Greek, it is arson, which is to lift or to carry. The idea being that you have the ability to pick something up and bring it somewhere, okay? So this is, this is going to be our working definition of, of masculinity. God's intended purpose for males is to make meaningful, lasting impact in the world. So men, what I'm saying is I think that for the most part, by and large, God has given you a desire to make meaningful, lasting impact in the world. And it's a good desire. Sometimes people confuse ambition with this. This, this is a good thing. This, this is a good thing for you to want to be, make a significant change, a significant contribution in the world. Having technical difficulties. All right. Um, okay, observations from the fall. We're cursed with futility. As men, so if you go to Genesis chapter three, look at this. This is this uh, this helps me even think about the definition I just gave, making meaningful, lasting impact. When you think about how did God curse them, He cursed them so that they couldn't make meaningful, lasting impact. And so it, it seems to me like there's something tied to what God's intended purpose for us was, and, and the curse that He laid on us. So um, we're cursed with futility. So Genesis three, verse seventeen. Um, and Adam said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. Cursed to the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles which will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your faith, face you shall eat bread. So God is saying to the man, you, it, everything was easy. You wanted something to change, and it was going to change. And now everything is going to fight against you. Everything in your life is going to fight against you. When you try and move forward, something's going to happen that's going to keep you from being able to get what you want to get for the rest of your life. And then you know what's going to happen after that? You're going to die. It wasn't like that before. I mean, that, that, that's pretty bleak, isn't that? That's pretty, pretty bleak. And I think this is, this is what it feels like. So we're cursed to decay. I, I just said that. We're cursed to decay. I think that's what it feels like is weightlessness. So we were, we were cursed to futility. You want to make meaningful impact, lasting change. But you feel weightless. It, it, it's as if you're throwing a punch and all you hit is air. You just, no matter what you do, you, 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 you can't do what you want to do. And it makes you feel weightless. And I think that God's intended curse for males was futility to decay. And it leaves males feeling terrified of being weightless. Because you have a longing within you as a male to make significant impact in the world. But you can't. So many things are in your way, and, and it makes you feel weightless. 
So here's what I mean. I think there's two ways how we cope. Here, I'll show you. One of them is we attempt to overcome it, and the other one is we surrender to it. So I got a list of examples of, of ways that I think that we, we tend to cope with this. So ways that we tend to overcome it. Okay, we're on number one here. We attempt to overcome it. First one is we boast about our accomplishments. We, we want to feel like we've made significant impact, right? So it's like if you've ever done well in sports or not in sports, maybe you're not athletic at all, but you're good at music. And so you were in the All-State Band. You were the first chair trumpet player. Um, whatever it is, you, you, wanna, you want people to know that, that you've done things. Um, another one, uh, you throw yourself into something and give your all into that thing so that you will be the best, better than anybody else that you know at that one specific thing. It could even be something like juggling. You you have this here's another, you, you have this um, thought. This is what separates me from the rest. Other people act this way when they're in social circles, but this is how I act. I'm a little different. Okay, I'm, I'm attempting to overcome this this feeling that that I'm inadequate, right? That I don't have what it takes. Um, another one. Um, you're possessive in your relationships. Maybe you have a girlfriend. And you're scared she's gonna break up with you. And you're possessive of her. You don't want her to talk to any other guy because you're scared that you don't have what it takes for her to stay around. Another example, um, you're forceful with your extroversion so you can get what you want in, in situations. I'm a good example of this. Um, I don't know very many people who are more extroverted than I am in the world. And uh, when, we came, when I came on staff, I had to meet with a counselor and the counselor said, he said, I think you are naturally extroverted. But he was like, I think that some of your extroversion is because you want to compete so that you can have the attention of the room. Because if I get the attention of the room, then I get what I want. I'm in control of everything. No one can hurt me because I'm the center of attention, right? I'm the one that's swinging the conversation. And that's totally me. I, I, I do that. I still do that. Or... You could be subtle with your introversion to get what you want. So maybe you're not like me, but you're the guy who is a cool cat sitting in the back of the room, and you're like, they'll come to me. You know, they'll come to me because I'm a mystery. You know, it's like no one really knows who I am. You know, um, I've, that's, I've never known that experience. Um, it could be um, you want to overcome your sense of weightlessness by seeking a female's attention so you'll feel like a man. And so, I mean, and you can play that out in so many different ways, so many different ways. It could be, I mean, it depends on what background you grew up in. You could be having sex with a ton of different girls because you want to feel like you, like there's, you know, you got it. There's a lot of girls who want you. Or it may be you grew up in a church, you're homeschooled, just flirting with a girl. You know, you, you just want, you just want this girl to like you and you're like, this girl likes me and therefore I'm not got it, right? So different context. Um, it could be that you want to accumulate as much influence as possible in your life. And so you are in, you know, your sports clubs, you're in Greek life, you've got so many different things going on, you know, you're in different clubs, you're in the engineering club, even though you're not an engineering student, you know, you're just like doing everything possible to get influence in your life, no matter what it is. Obviously, it's a little hyperbolic example, but um, another one is you may be coercive, forceful and abusive in relationships in order to get what you want. 
And this is subtle. I, th I think this is subtle. I mean, obviously we have pictures of people beating other people, right? Being abusive in that way. And I would have never put myself in an abusive camp. But um, a couple years ago in my marriage, I realized that I was being coercive in my marriage. And the way that it played itself out was, my wife is a sweet, sweet woman. And uh, uh, very quiet and um, a good listener. I like to talk, you know. But um, at some point, it was just a season. It's like I stopped caring about what she thought. And if what she thought I disagreed with, I just subtly got angry with her. It was just like this small like, shift, and she could feel it. And so she learned in that season to not make me upset, to not make me angry. It was wrong. It was wrong. Because I didn't feel like I had what it took as a husband and as a father in that season. So I treated my wife poorly because of it. It could be as subtle as that. Um, it could be that you want to overcome this by lacking vulnerability. You know that there are things going on inside of you that are nasty, but you're not gonna share that with anybody because that would tear you down and make you feel the weightlessness that you're afraid of. <laughs> Lastly, um, just on this first point, I know I got a lot of these, but I think this is really important to understand. But lastly, on, uh, we tend to overcome it. Um, you may choose to do nothing that would affect your reputation or the place in life that you want to go. So, uh, you feel good about where you're at. And so you're not gonna take any more risks, right? Because it's like, I got it. I got what I'm, you know, I'm in a groove right now. So I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna look at the go court, you know, and see if I'm going overseas because this right here makes me feel like a man where I'm currently at, whatever I'm doing right now. Um, all right, surrender, we surrender to it. There's a proverb, um, that's made me think a lot about this. Um, I, I read, there's a Bible plan that I, I, I read a chapter of Proverbs every single day. And so I've, this last year I've just been thinking a lot about Proverbs. And there's a proverb, I don't know exactly where it is, but um, if you looked up the phrase, there's a lion in the streets, that, that would be it. But the proverb basically says, like, the sluggard from his bed does not get out of bed because he says, there's a lion in the streets. There's a lion in the streets. He's going to eat me. Because he's so scared of life that he chooses to stay in bed instead of try and do something. And so that's what, that's what I mean by surrendering to it. Instead of saying, you know, uh, instead of trying to overcome it and say, I'm gonna be better than this, you just give in and say, you know what? I am weightless. I don't matter. I'm insignificant. I'll never be able to do anything. Let's play another six hours before we or whatever it is. All right, so um, here, here's some examples. Uh, distractions like ESPN, um, fantasy books, reading, you know, fantasy like Harry Potter or, or whatever. Um, movies, dating relationships, all those things distract you from the pain that you feel or the dread that you feel that you are weightless. And so you just, it's just, in, it's not even like you're trying to overcome it by like gaining something there. You're just numbing life. You, it's just, it's easier to look at the score of the LSU Oklahoma game than to deal with the reality that there's nasty things going on inside of you. Right? Um, another one is you're emotionally distant. Because you're numb. You're just trying to numb everything, right? Like, I don't want to feel these 
bad things about myself. And so it's easier for me not to engage with emotions because emotions are kind of weird. And that seems like a girl thing to do. And so I'm just going to stay away from that. That's not true. Every one of us has emotions. Everybody has emotions. Guys and girls both have emotions. And you need to deal with them. Another way would be staying away from responsibilities that you don't like. A personal example. I suck at doing things around the house, housework. And uh, we bought a house a year and a half ago, and my roof, I, I know it needs to be fixed. There's just in one spot, there's, there's a little crack in it, and I know that I need to fix it, and I don't want to. And at the end of the day, the reason that I stay away from it is simply because it reminds me that I feel like a failure. That's why I don't want to do it. Or our finances. When I, when I do my family's finances, I assume that I've screwed it up already. Like I'm, not, I'm not even looking at them, and I, I assume that I've already screwed it up, so I stay away from, from my finances. It's like, we'll look at them next month. Um, so, Jehovah God, the Lord always provides, so you know, I just, I just stay away from them. It's wrong, right? But, but it's like, that's like, I use that excuse. It's like, you know. It's like, um, uh, another one would be uh, living to fill ourselves with pleasures instead of serving others. So, if you're surrendering to the weightlessness, you can't make any impact on anybody else. You're so screwed up. So, I'm just going to fill myself with, with things that make me feel good because I feel empty. And so I'm going to make myself feel good. Addictions is another one. To numb things. We settle for giving into sexual desires because we assume there's no other choice. We be men. Um, being thoughtless, not thinking through life's decisions. That's another big theme in the Proverbs. Being hasty, not thinking through things, just kind of wanderingly, aimlessly through life. Just being thoughtless, not, not knowing where you're going, not having a plan. Um, here's another one. Being vulnerable with no hope. So there's a way that you could try to overcome your weightlessness by saying, I'm not going to be vulnerable because I don't want to express, you know, any weakness in me. So I'm going to overcome it. There's another way you can say, I suck, and I'm going to let the world know that I suck. But there's no hope in it. You're just, you're just expressing that all of life is, is hopeless. Um, uh, and lastly, um, just a lack of care, general care for anybody else around you or anything around you. Now, I don't know if I have a slide for this next point. Yeah, what are the effects on the other gender? So here's the effects on the other gender. We're inward, right? So because of the fall, we were, what we were created to do, what we were created to do is live for God and create lasting meaningful impact. At the fall, excuse me, when Adam, excuse me, uh, when Adam sinned, it went inward, right? It became about himself. And when it became about himself, God cursed us to futility. Now, here's the problem. We were created to live for other people. We were created to live for God, not for ourselves. And at the fall, it, it just went completely, completely inward. And so a big reason that we feel weightless is because we think we need to prove something. Do you understand that, that how that's sin? We think we need to prove something. And so because we think we need to prove something, we don't got it, that, that leads to this feeling of, of weightlessness. Okay. Um, so what are the effects? We think ourselves superior to the other, other gender. 
What I mean is that we're judgmental. We think, ah, I don't want to deal with the makeup, the, you know, the emotions, all of that stuff that, that girls, you know. I mean, yeah, I want a girlfriend, but I don't want to deal with all that stuff. Okay? That, that's one example. We think ourselves superior to them. Um, secondly, we think of them as objects and things. So you may have guys who are friends, and you may understand a little bit about their life, but when it comes to girls, eh, it, I, the sad reality is, is that um, a lot of guys interact with women more through pornography than they do with women in real life and treat women as if they're objects. And it's not true. Women are created in the image of God. Um, the last thing. We only interact with them when we are romantically interested, which then affirms that they are an object. An object for my romantic desire. That's why we want to interact with them. Not because they're created in the image of God and they have wonderful thoughts and are beautiful, not just physically, but, but because of that and so on. All right. Painted a really bleak picture. I know that. But there is hope. There is hope, okay? There is hope. So, redemption. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. How could we possibly have hope? And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. And this is, I, uh, so I want to do two things. Uh, this, is, this is how we're going to basically end this. The first is, I want to look at an example of Jesus and how I think Jesus really displays proper masculinity in a fallen world. And then I'm really hoping that this becomes clear. And if this is not clear, come up and talk to me afterwards because I want to help you understand this. Um, how we ourselves can live out masculinity in a fallen world. There is hope. There is hope because of Jesus Christ. So, I am losing my connection. Hold on. Okay. So Jesus in his lifetime. First thing, during his life, Jesus was perfect and blameless. Right? He never sinned. Jesus never sinned. He is God incarnate. And um, this in itself is amazing. He, had all, he was a human. He had all the temptations that we experienced, and he was perfect. It's an amazing thing that he lasted 30 years and being perfect. And then he goes through his ministry, okay? And as he's going through his ministry, he heals countless people. On two different occasions, he feeds over 5,000 people, probably closer to 10 to 15,000 because they only counted the men in that calculation. He heals a ton of people, feeds a ton of people, preaches, and people are astounded because they're like, this guy knows things that we've never heard before. He speaks as one who has authority, not like one of the scribes who would put themselves under it, but he speaks as if it's like, this is it. And what is the response to him? Oh, gosh, I keep losing this connection. Um, he dies. They kill him. You would think if anybody made lasting, meaningful impact in their life, it would be Jesus. Just looking at his life, right? If anybody made lasting, meaningful impact in their life. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the cross yet. I'm just saying leading up to the cross, right? He, he made a ton of significant change. And yet, they didn't like that. And so they decided to kill him. And, and you, you look at Jesus in the garden when he's praying. He says, God, he, he's, he's sweating drops of blood because of the stress of it, because he's human, and he knows what's going to happen. It's going to hurt. 
And he says, if there is any other way, please let it be so. But not my will, but your will be done. And then he goes to the Sanhedrin, where he is mocked, has an unjust trial. Then he goes to the Romans. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on him. He's the king of the universe. And they're mocking him, ironically, as if he is nothing. And he says nothing. He waits. And then he gets to the cross. He gets to the cross, and there are people who are walking by on the road. People who don't even know who he is. And they're hurling insults at him as he walks by. Just strangers. Can you imagine that? You're walking down the street, and a stranger starts calling you names. As you're walking, you be like, I don't know you. What are you doing? But that's what happened. People are just walking by, hurling insults. And then his, his disciples and the other people, they're standing there, doing nothing, just watching him die. They didn't start a revolt. Peter said, I will go and die for you. And then he denies it three times. You'd think that this man deserves more, right? You'd think that he made a lasting, meaningful impact in his life. That didn't happen. Then you go one circle and further, and then you got the Pharisees, who are all loving it. They love that he's on the cross. They're reveling in it. You know, he saved a lot of people. He said he could, you know, raise other people from the dead. Why can't he save himself? If he really is the son of God, why couldn't he do it? And then you got the Roman guards, who his mom's meshed, woven outfit that she made for him. They rip it off of him. He is naked. And then they're casting lots at his feet to see who's going to get it. And then you go next to him. And the two thieves who actually did something wrong are accusing him and, and hurling insults at him. Right? I mean, one of them repents, obviously, but in the beginning, both of them are hurling insults at him. And then this is the big kicker. Then, then God rejects him. He yells out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he, came, when he came to earth, as a baby, this was the plan. This, this was plan A, right? This isn't like, well, we screwed up, right? This was plan A. And so when you, when you look from the outside, it can seem as though all of Jesus' attempts, all they ended up in was futility. Jesus has more reason to feel weightless in this moment than any of us in this room have reason to feel weightless. And what is his response? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How masculine is that? In the face of futility, of seeming futility, he knows what is to come. He has hope for what is to come, and he sets his face like flint on that which is eternal joy with God and eternal joy with his people. He came to ransom a people, and he said, I will do anything it takes, even being abandoned by my own father, who for all of eternity past, I have experienced fellowship with. I'm willing to do that, if, what, if that's what it takes, in order to ransom people for myself. He was willing to give it all. That is masculinity. That is masculinity. Willing to make lasting, meaningful impact at the cost of ourselves, okay? So, here's what I think. God used the intended curse for males in order to make meaningful, lasting impact in the world. I think this is so beautiful. God, Jesus came as a man, 
died as a man for us. With the curse of man, because he was a man, on him. And God used that and flipped the script completely to make lasting and equal impact. The Bible's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. There's depths here that we don't have time for. Um, so, seeming futility of his efforts, they bring us back to God. He was naked and ashamed so that we don't have to be. We're clothed in righteousness. All of those nasty things that you feel inside of you, you don't have to because Christ took on all of those things for you. You don't have to prove it. You don't got it. You never will. And that is okay. Because Christ does. He does have it. He does have it. Alright. So restoration. How can men live out their masculine identity? So this is the last part. Thinking about us. Here's, here's how we have hope. I mean, it, it was a bleak picture, right? Then Christ saves us. We realize we don't have it. We don't need to because Christ does. And, and here's a couple of things I think we need to embrace. One of them is we need to embrace our creational design as men. One of them being that you matter, that you are significant. You have glory within yourself. You're not a piece of dirt. And I know some of you in here actually think that you are, but you're not. You're created in the image of God. And that is significant. The, the, um, we, we, uh, we have glory because we're created after our Father in the likeness of our Father in heaven. It's, it's just amazing. And the desire that you feel to make lasting, meaningful impact in the world is a good desire. And you should feel that. That is a good desire. Ambition to do good things is a good thing. And here, here's, here's a few ways that could look. Let me... Um, one way that, that that could look is living to make others' dreams come true. So, I love this phrase. Matt Bradley said this um, a couple years ago. I really like this. Live to make other people's dreams come true. So when you look around and you see people, live to make their dreams come true. That's what masculinity can look like. Another thing it can look like is living to keep others' dreams from becoming a nightmare. Because they may not have good dreams. And you may want to help them out of those dreams. Okay? That's what masculinity can look like. Another one is protecting the vulnerable. Protecting the vulnerable. As men, we are strong, right? God has, God has made us faster and stronger than women, naturally, in, in general. Not, not all the time, but in general. God has made us bigger than, than women. And we should use that to want to protect the vulnerable and, and protect life. Another way is providing financially for others. You get a job, you can, you can provide financially for other people. You can give your money away. You're like be spent for other people. Another one is um, serving quietly where no one will notice. I think a really good example of this in the Bible is Moses. Um, so many times Moses interceded for the people and they had no idea that he interceded for them. Um, and, and, and then they came back and didn't like him. And it's just over and over again. But he, was, he, he displayed such meekness and gentleness. Um, or it could be leading in public so that everyone notices. That's what masculinity could look like. A good example of this is King David. He dances in front of everybody. They bring, they, they, they brought um, the Ark of the Covenant up through the city of Jerusalem. And as they do it, King David, the most powerful man in all the kingdoms, is wildly dancing in front of everybody. 
So much so, I, it was it was uncommon at the time. So much so that one of his wives was looking at a window, looking through a window at him, and it, the Bible said that she despised him because of it. His wife despised him because of it. Um, I don't know if that was a healthy marriage to begin with, but um, <laughs> but even so, he was willing to dance. Why? Because the Ark of the Covenant had come home, baby, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. He was willing to make a fool of himself in front of other people. Why? Because God matters. God matters. And David understood that. King David understood that. Um, all right. So let me go back here. Okay. The second thing is you need to embrace the reality of the fall, which is we were meant to do this, and now we do this. It's about us. It's all about us. That's natural in your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord can. That's what verse 10 says. But uh, we can, right? And, and our hearts are deceitful and constantly move away from God. That's, that's your natural tendency. And what you do in this life is going to feel futile. We're still under it. We're still under it. In heaven, someday, we are going to be out of it. And there's going to be no more curse. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there's going to be nothing. Death shall be no more. But that's not our current reality. We're still under it. And so you got to know that your life is going to feel a sense of futility in it. And then we've got to embrace Christ. And the reason we embrace Christ as men is because we don't got it. We don't. We never will. And that's okay. Because he does. So we embrace Christ. I love this, this passage. I think this passage does a really good job. Uh, Paul talks about this. I didn't put the reference. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, I think. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Um, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see that? He's saying, I don't have the power. I don't got it. It's not me. I am a jar of clay, a futile vessel, right? And yet God is using futility to make wonderful things, right? God is using futility to, to let this, this treasure shine. Um, and then the last thing, move sacrificially. Move, move sacrificially towards other people and towards God. I think there's a couple verses here that, that display this. I think are really good. Um, the first one is John 12, 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so, men, one practical way you could die today is be vulnerable with somebody. Be honest with another human being about nasty things going on inside of you. That's a good way to die. And the only reason you can do that is because Christ has what it takes to deal with that. You don't, but Christ does. And then this one, I love this, but I did not count my life of any value nor worth precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So, move sacrificially. Be willing to have your life be spent for other people. Live in a way that you could make other people's dreams come true. That is what masculinity is about. It's about others. about living to make meaningful impact in the world. And we can do that now because Christ lives in us. He, he does it through us. And so, um, I have a couple of questions for you guys to, to consider when we'll be done. Uh -oh. 
I've been fighting this. The futility of this is. Okay. Um, what makes you feel weightless, and how do you tend to cope with weightlessness slash futility? Now, uh, this, these are questions for, for the men. For women, uh, here's a question I want to ask you. How does this align with how you thought about masculinity in the past? And can you think of a relationship that you have in your life that you have been harmed because of your view of masculinity? Write that down, and then talk to someone about it. Um, so women, you, you do that. Men, I, I want you to answer this. What makes you feel weightless? And how do you tend to cope with weightlessness and futility? So um, I'll give you guys a couple of minutes uh, to, to write those down and think about it, and then I'll close in prayer. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.